You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is History Day, continuing to learn the history of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and other Lutherans in North America with Dr. Cameron McKenzie. We'll get to that in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for your support of The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Dr. Cameron McKenzie, Professor of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, helping us learn more about the history of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Dr. McKenzie, welcome back. Well, thanks. Glad to be here again. So last time we left off, we were leading up to the first convention of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. So we talked about a couple of meetings that had happened in what, Cleveland, Mm -hmm. and where else were we? St. Louis Mm -hmm. and Fort Wayne. Are we ready? Yeah, I think so. Ready to to meet for the first convention? (laughs) We are, right. Okay. All right. What what happens? Anything else we need to know before we get into that being the first convention? Yeah, just the, the, probably the big thing is that uh, they put it, they they included the Constitution in Der Lutheraner so that congregations and pastors all over America could know about this. And if they were interested and committed, they could, they could show up and join at that first, at that first meeting. So some took it more seriously than others. Walther's congregation in St. Louis devoted 10 meetings to examining that first constitution. So they took this all very, very seriously. The host congregation was St. Paul's Church in Chicago, at that time, Chicago was a, a city of about uh, 20,000. That congregation had begun in 1843. And in 1846, one of the men had been called uh, to serve them as their, as their pastor. Now, it turned out that this congregation was one of those mixed congregations <laughs> that we've been talking about. So the host congregation of the first convention of the Missouri Synod, which met with a service on April 25th and opening business meeting on April 26th of 1847. The host congregation was not really Lutheran at that point and subsequently decided not to become Lutheran. (laughs) So in the succeeding weeks and months after that first convention, Pastor Selly I had to talk with this congregation. He thought he was coming to a Lutheran congregation, but he found, as so many others found, that they had reformed and they had Lutherans and one kind of big happy family. And he said, well, no, we can't do this. We have to go by the scriptures, go by the confessions. We've got to be Lutheran. So they had a kind of a showdown and um, only four of the members uh, stayed with uh, Pastor Selly. So the other side, the union side, uh, they kept the building and the property and so forth. And Sally and his four members found another location and then founded then a truly Lutheran church in Chicago, which I've got to say this right because I don't want to insult anybody. They call themselves first, the, the first Lutheran congregation, which they were, and think of themselves as the host congregation of the Missouri Synod. But that's only kind of accidentally true. Uh, because of this split. I mean, the majority did not join the Missouri Synod. They did not become Lutheran. And today, that part of the host congregation is a congregation in the United Church of Christ, not even close to being Lutheran. 
from some perspectives, not even close to being Christian. So it's one of the ironies of history that I just think is kind of a, a fascinating part of our own particular story. But be that as it may, when they came together, representatives from 14 congregations were there. Those 14 were hosted by 12 pastors. So we've got 14 congregations and 12 pastors who are the first members of the Missouri Synod. In spite of the name that had been chosen for the new group back in the summer of 46, the German Evangelical Lutheran Church of Missouri, Ohio, and other states, there were, of those 14, there were many more of them from Indiana than there were either from Missouri or Ohio. And as a matter of fact, the interesting thing about the Missouri story is that although Walther and his church, Trinity in St. Louis, joined the new synod, none of the Perry County congregations joined the Missouri Synod. They, their pastor came, Pastor Lober was there, but they did not join in part that expressed some of their reluctance to get involved with something that even smacked of Stephanism, kind of a centralized church body and so forth. So they didn't join until the next year, the next next convention. So that's the story. It's mostly laymen. It's more Indiana congregations than anybody else. And yet it's the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod to this very day. So what did they do at this first convention? Well, these synods, as I think I mentioned last time, these are not big corporations with lots of money, property, and programs. No, these are representatives of congregations joining together to do the work of the church. What do I mean by the work of the church? Well, first and foremost was to maintain unity, doctrinal unity between themselves and their pastors, to support that work by training men for the ministry training others for the teaching ministry. And I should mention right from the beginning, teachers were advisory members of the synod, along then with pastors who didn't join the synod or assistant pastors at congregations and the like. So there was this category of advisory members. They also were committed to mission work. And we can see this in two ways at that first convention. Uh, First of all, the Michigan delegation led by uh, August Kramer, whom we've talked about before. He's the one that Leia sent to found Indian missions in Frankenmuth. Uh, He was there and he expressed his willingness to place the Indian mission uh, under the supervision of the new Lutheran church. Of course, he'd have to get permission from Leia to do that, but Leia quickly said, yes, that was the right thing to do. So right from the beginning, the Missouri Synod had a mission to non-Germans, non-Lutherans, indeed non-Christians, that had been begun by Kramer in Michigan. That that mission would continue uh, as a part of the synodical program until the 1860s, when on account of government policy and account of new settlements, uh, the Indians basically moved away uh, from where the Michigan, for the mission had moved to in Michigan, um, you can still find in Michigan 
a cemetery not too far from Mount Pleasant, Michigan, which had been the site of the Indian mission of the Missouri Synod until the 1850s and 60s. And there's still a cemetery there that's kept up as kind of a uh, memorial to that uh, mission. Well, anyway, right at the beginning then, we've got an Indian mission. But the Synod also recognized, as Winnikin had a decade earlier, that there were tons of Germans still on the frontier and more coming all the time who needed to be gathered up into churches. So they appointed one of their candidates, a man by the name of Carl Frinke. Carl Frinke. He had studied for the ministry under Wieneken and Seeler in Fort Wayne, and then the new Fort Wayne Seminary that Leah had founded in 1846. He was ready for the ministry, and the Senate called him to be a missionary at large. And what that meant, that he would go, as Winnikin had done, to various settlements to try to get the Germans organized, get them into synods so that then local pastors could uh, follow on with that. Uh, and I'll just give you an interesting little piece of trivia. I think significant, too. The offspring of Frankie followed him into the Lutheran ministry. And as a matter of fact, we are either at five or six generations of Frankies serving uh, as pastors of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. So you look up that name, F-R-I-N-C-K-E, and throughout Synod's history, you will find uh, that family putting pastors into the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, which I think is kind of great. So anyway, that mission emphasis we can see right at the uh, beginning of the um, Synod's uh, first convention. Uh, they had elections, and they had to choose uh, officers, um, and here we see how the, uh, it seems almost deliberately, they wanted to bring the two groups together that had founded the Synod, the Leah Winnikin men on the one hand, the Walter Saxon men on the other, because they elected as their first president, C.F.W. Walter, but as their first vice president, Wilhelm Seeler. They elected as their treasurer, a Saxon, Friedrich Bartel. But they elected as their secretary, one of the Winnikin laymen, a fellow by the name of Husman. So they're coming together and they are demonstrating that by the men they choose to lead them. Now, both groups had founded seminaries. The Missouri, not the, the laymen, had founded Fort Wayne in 1846 as a kind of frontier seminary to bring good, pious Lutherans into the ministry in order to meet the needs of the frontier without a lot of formal education. So the men that Fort Wayne was training were like those that Leah had trained back in the old country. And in fact, some from the old country came to Fort Wayne to finish their education on the frontier. And that meant the basics of doctrine, the basics of the Bible, the basics of the skills that you needed. And and not a lot of frills, but just what you needed in order to be effective on the frontier. And they had started that in 1846. The Saxons had started an educational program in uh, 1839. And that program was to replicate the entire German system. And so initially, it was actually a grade school to get the right foundation for theological education. It had almost died out in 1843. The pastor Lober had kind of refounded it 
And he started attracting older students who would actually learn theology and go on to become, go to seminary and become pastors. And so that program also existed. But the but that was located in Perry County, and those congregations were a little reluctant to turn that program over to the Synod, unlike the Fort Wainers, who were more than happy to turn their program over to the Synod. Leah gave them permission to do that, so that it wasn't until 1849-1850 that the Missouri program was placed under synodical auspices. And at that point, uh, Lober had died and the seminary was moved to St. Louis. So it became the Concordia Seminary St. Louis that we know today. But even though then that seminary is older than my seminary, the Fort Wayne Seminary, because of Leah's generosity and the enthusiasm of the Fort Wayners, we actually turned out to be the first seminary of the Missouri Synod. And obviously, you can see I'm a little proud of that fact. <laughs> anyway. I think, and, and rightly so, probably. And we have more to talk about. We need to take a, take a quick break right here. I know there's more to talk about the uh, institutions that join the Synod right away and the missionary work and all of that. So we'll get to that right after this break. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. We're talking with Dr. Cameron McKenzie about the forming of the LCMS. We've gotten through the first convention talking about all of the pastors and churches and institutions that are now part of this synod. And before we go into the institutions, I have a maybe random question, but I have always wondered, why did they meet in Chicago for this? Do you know? Uh, this is just a guess, but I think it's a good one. Even then, Chicago was a center place for travel. All roads, all canals, the Great Lakes all led to Chicago. So I think that was the rationale behind it. It was a good place for people to be able to get together and meet. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. now back to our institutions. We were talking about the, the two seminaries that joined, of course, Fort Wayne being the official first one. As, as you pointed out, and uh, Concordia Seminary uh, eventually in St. Louis, what were some of the other institutions that uh, made up this first synod? Yeah, I, I think it's important that we realize that I was kidding around before about the Fort Wayners being more generous. Well, Walter and Trinity were very generous. Not only was their pastor going to be involved with the presidency of the new church, but the publication that Luther I'm not Luther, that Walter was bringing out from St. Louis on a regular basis, Dare Luther Honor, that was turned over to the Synod, and that became the Synod's publication. It began in 1844, and it lasted all the way until 1974. 
And so between 1847 and 1974, the Missouri Senate had its own German language paper, kind of like a German version of the Lutheran Witness, but the German version was first, the Lutheran Witness came later. And so right from the beginning then, the Missouri Senate was in the publishing business. That became a little more complicated shortly thereafter when in 1804, uh, the Senate started a theological journal. And then about a decade later, they started the Evangelisches Lutherisches Schulblatt for school teachers. They also, Luke Walther had worked on a hymnal, and that became a synodical publication as well. So right from the beginning, the Senate was in the printing publication business. Originally, they had a printing press placed on the grounds of Concordia Seminary in 1850, and that in turn in evolved into Concordia Publishing House. It wasn't really organized until 1869, but the roots of it really go back to that first convention when they adopted the Der Lunar Honor as the synodical. So that that was another aspect of that first convention that I think is uh, worth noting. So we have seminaries, we have missions, we have uh, publications, we've got the two groups merging, and you might say, was there anything else? As a matter of fact, there was. And I'm not sure how much of this we can get into with the time that's left, but there was also a delegation from congregations up in Wisconsin, particularly Freistadt, Wisconsin, but also some from Milwaukee as well. And they were coming with, well, it's basically a complaint about their pastor. <laughs> Yeah. So, and the, the, the Synod, I mean, one of its functions was to God's word in application to problems of the church, to maintain the unity of church, doctrinal purity, to help heal fights and so forth. So this was part of church business. And this uh, was, as I say, it was a, a fight between the congregation and the pastor. The pastor did not show up. There are reasons for that, uh, but he wasn't he wasn't coming. But delegates of the congregation came, um, and their concern was uh, the pastor's uh, disciplinary techniques uh, and also the issues over which they were fighting. You'd like to say, "Oh, this is a great doctrinal fight." Well, there were some doctrinal aspects to it, but basically, it was a fight over a horse and buggy. Um, it was a pastor, Krause, uh, who had to go back and forth between Freistadt and Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he was renting a horse and buggy all the time in order to do that. Okay. Well, he had approached one or both or some of the congregations. So it was a little vague in my mind as to whom he had approached. And he thought he had gotten the okay to purchase a horse and buggy. But when the congregations had their formal meetings, they decided, no, they were not going to buy the pastor a horse and buggy. And as a consequence, Pastor Krause excommunicated those who refused to pay for this horse and buggy. So they were there at the, Fort, or at the Chicago Convention trying to get that adjudicated. And the congregation, the synod, basically 
decided in favor of the congregation and thought they had been wrongly disciplined and excommunicated over this over this controversy. So there's a fight that the synod gets involved with, and that becomes then kind of a a, a fight between the Missouri Synod then and uh, this Wisconsin uh, pastor and congregations, and that dovetails with yet another fight that the synod inherited. Because another of the congregations, and this one actually joined the Senate in 1847, this was in Buffalo, New York. One of the Saxon pastors had was pastoring a group of Lutherans in Buffalo. His The pastor's name was Berger, Moritz Berger. And he came and his congregation sent delegates and they were accepted into membership. And this was First Trinity the Lutheran Church, now in Tonawanda, New York, a charter member of the Missouri Synod. But they had formed also as a split from another congregation in Buffalo. And so the Synod kind of inherited that fight as well. So right from the beginning, the Missouri Synod found itself in controversy to which there are, are a lot of dimensions, and I don't think we can really get into them at this point, but they might be worth talking about in a subsequent episode because they involve a, a serious issue, that is the nature of the ministry in the Evangelical Lutheran Church and a long, long-range uh, dispute with another group that's called the Buffalo Synod, the leader of which was a fellow by the name of Grabau and yet another one by the name of Heinrich von Rohr. So I'm, I'm not sure where we are on time as to whether we can get into this or not. You tell me. We have about we two minutes left. Maybe an overview of what you'd like to cover in our next episode. Okay. Yeah, I think it would be worthwhile for us to take a look at how the Missouri Senate positioned itself with respect to some of the other Lutheran church bodies that, like Missouri, had a strong sense of confessionalism, but went in different directions, as a result of which we could not find fellowship with those other church bodies. So these are not the, you know, the Americanizers who want to use English and get rid of the Eucharist, but these are actually churches that took the confessions more seriously, something like us. And so we want to talk about the Buffalo Synod. There's some interesting history there. And then a few years after the Synod uh, is founded, we get the Iowa Synod. And again, some interesting and important issues are there. Iowa particularly is important because the men who founded the Iowa Synod, after breaking with the Missouri Synod, had actually been disciples of Wilhelm Leia. So that involves a kind of a really unfortunate and sad division between the Missouri Synod and, and really a man who you could call him, you know, a founder from overseas, somebody who was really important in the founding of the Missouri Senate, Wilhelm Leia. And so that would be another uh, another aspect of this that we might want to talk about. Very good. So much to learn. <laughs> we'll pack it all in in our next episode. Dr. McKenzie, thank you so much for helping us unpack this history. It's been great chatting with you today. Well, you're very welcome. I always enjoy it. Thank you. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth.
The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org slash store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org slash store.